Hello everyone and welcome to Wavelength. The year 2020 and the coronavirus brought many challenges. The pandemic spanning across the globe, travel suspended within a few months, and governments around the world working to get it under control. But in many places, a major concern of the pandemic has been the strain it places on healthcare systems. So for this episode, we wanted to look at UV technology in healthcare settings. Early in the pandemic, UV emerged as one of the frontrunners among technologies for disinfecting equipment and spaces. For example, for disinfecting personal protective equipment so that it could be reused by frontline workers. Or disinfecting surfaces to reduce transmission of the virus in healthcare settings. Today we are sitting down with Barry Hunt and Dr. Richard Martinello to try to understand UV tech from the perspective of healthcare professionals and to learn about the rising role of UV in healthcare systems. Today I'm joined by Barry Hunt. Mr. Hunt is the president and CEO of Present X, a company based in Ontario, Canada, that designs and implements infection prevention equipment for healthcare settings. Uh, Mr. Hunt, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I think that must be a very busy time for you. Good morning, Michael. Thank you for having me. And uh, yes, very busy time. So for the last year, uh, it's been uh, seven days a week and uh, 16, 18 hour days uh, as uh, our company, our team and, and teams of researchers all over the, the world um, try to respond quickly with technologies and solutions for COVID. Yes, I can imagine, especially as the CEO of a company like Prescient. And let's get right to the questions we have for you. So what role do you see UV technologies taking in the efforts to handle the coronavirus crisis? Well, I, I think there are several different roles, uh, Michael, uh, but basically air disinfection and surface disinfection. And um, while uh, surface disinfection is likely um, a lesser um, contributor to the solution for COVID, um, it's still significant. And so some of the transmission opportunities that are there in high volume for high touch surfaces uh, are particularly suited to UV technologies. So for example, if you can imagine if you go to an airport now and you have to drop your keys into a plastic bin and have them go through x-ray and thousands and thousands of people are going through and handling those bins, there's certainly yeah. risk of not just COVID transmission, but of, of all kinds of different diseases. And so that's a perfect application for high-speed disinfection uh, with UV. Uh, it's one of the things our company has uh, done. And one of the very first responses we had for COVID was to develop a, a machine called Terminator, which is a very high volume conveyor-based uh, system. So high-speed uh, disinfection of items like uh, like the bins uh, that you use in security at the airports. It was first um, developed for disinfection of N95 respirators because, of course, as you know, last spring, there was yeah. a global shortage of respirators and, and other PPE, uh, but particularly respirators and masks. And so N95 respirators are particularly important for healthcare workers. And given the shortage, UV seemed to be a, a particularly good technology for high-speed rapid disinfection so that they could be used uh, and put back into service again. So you mentioned like a conveyor type, conveyor belt type of uh, UV device. Uh, what other devices uh, have been used to prevent infections in the healthcare settings? Or in other words, what UV applications have already been adapted for uh, battling the coronavirus yeah. crisis? 
One of the best applications right now is auto UV. So, uh, and this existed before COVID, but we had worked with another company, uh, Sandbox Technologies in, in Montreal, uh, to bring out a, an auto UV device that can be used in bathrooms or patient rooms or equipment rooms in healthcare, in hospitals. And so every time you went in and out of a bathroom or an equipment room, um, the device would automatically disinfect that room. So you would have some sensors, you know, passive infrared and magnetic door contacts to determine occupancy yeah. of the room. And then you would only flash the room when nobody was in there. But it's been excellent for disinfecting not only the air, of course, but the surfaces and all of the equipment in those rooms uh, as well. And so that has become a minimum standard of care now uh, for Ontario. So when the Ministry of Health in Ontario um, is um, involved with a new hospital construction project or a renovation project in a hospital, uh, those auto UV devices are now standard um, uh, devices to go into the bathrooms or shared spaces uh, in healthcare. And that's specifically in response to, to COVID. And that would be, as you said, like directly in hospitals or in areas where there's a lot of different people using common areas? Uh, hospitals, um, long-term care is, is where it started, but uh, now it's ubiquitous it's everywhere. Of course, our offices are, are all, uh, you know, uh, stocked with uh, auto UV devices uh, mounted in all the, the common areas and bathrooms. Uh, but a lot of other uh, commercial buildings are set up that way now. And it would be... Uh, particularly applicable for um, any, any common areas like schools, for example, uh, office towers, um, uh, universities, colleges, uh, that sort of thing. Anywhere where you have shared spaces where people are in and out, and in particular uh, bathrooms, because respiratory viruses, uh, just like intestinal viruses and intestinal bacteria, are shed in the bathroom in large numbers. And of course, you get yeah. aerosol plumes developed every time you flush a toilet. Uh, or even every time you wash your hands at a sink. And so there's a chance of spreading virus into the air and landing on surfaces. And uh, auto UV is the simplest, most cost-effective way to treat those surfaces in common areas. And yeah. with the devices you mentioned or the applications you mentioned, uh, do you see any barriers or concerns regarding the use of UV or especially uh, talking about the coronavirus pandemic, Have there been any new findings or challenges that you faced? Well, uh, for every organism out there, there is um, a lot of research that's done to determine the dose of UV that's required to inactivate that organism. And yes, we're very yes. fortunate with, with SARS-CoV-2 that uh, a fairly low dose of UV is all that's required. It's a very fragile uh, virus from a UV perspective. So very easy to, to kill. Which with is good. Any, uh, Yes, no, that's, that's fantastic. So, but with any uh, UV application, you have to be um, careful. You know, you do have um, an issue with um, making sure you don't expose people, their eyes and their skin to, um, to inadvertent UV. And uh, we want to stay below uh, six millijoules per square centimeter of, of a dose per, on a daily basis for people. Relatively easy to do with today's technology with our sensors that are available today. Um, and of course, if you're going to risk sunburn or welder's eye um, versus the risk of catching disease like, like COVID, yeah. uh, you certainly see that the risk-benefit analysis can be done to show that UV is, is very safe relative to the alternative. And uh, what do you see in terms of uh, 
training people that have to handle these devices on a daily basis? Is there something in place? Uh, there is, and it depends on the particular device. So, for example, you might have a, a machine, they used to call them robots, uh, they're more of a mobile uh, UV disinfection device that you'd push around in a, in a hospital or in an office uh, building to disinfect. So you move um, a lamp on wheels, essentially, into a space, yeah. and then you would push a button or activate from a smartphone or a tablet to turn the lamps on but only when the space is unoccupied. And again, these would have sensors to make sure that, that nobody is in that particular area. Um, I think yeah. we've come a long, long way of, from that now. We're moving into the world of fully autonomous um, uh, surface disinfection devices now. So we, for example, at Prescient, we've developed a fully autonomous robot that can drive around in a hospital or an office building and it can determine levels of occupancy and and it can even operate in occupied spaces so you can you can tell where people are relative to where your lamps are and where you will be delivering uv and you can continue to operate and disinfect in those spaces while, while avoiding um exposing people to uv and i, I think that is really the way of the future um, that allows you to do continual or continuous disinfection, so virtually 24-7, fully autonomous, no you know, increased labor uh, required to, uh, to provide that level of service. If you can imagine right now in a hospital, yeah. we send in teams to disinfect rooms in between patients, and that's called a terminal discharge. And we, uh, once a day, disinfect each patient's room while they're in there. And it's really difficult using rags and chemicals to disinfect all the surfaces. In fact, only 25% are typically disinfected. Whereas yeah. if we have a fully autonomous robot, we could disinfect each of those rooms rather than just once a day. Uh, we could disinfect them three, four, five, six times a day. If, if we have auto UV in the bathroom, for example, we can disinfect that room 10 or 20 times a day, um, simply, easily, uh, and very cost effectively. One problem is uh, with UV, uh, since it's a light source, you will always have uh, shaded areas or uh, due to the geometry in the room behind curtains or um, if something is, for example, lying on the table, you will have uh, something that is not touched by the light. How do you deal with this problem? Well, line of sight, you're, you're exactly right. Line of sight is a concern. The best way to deal with that is to have a moving um, source of light. And in this case, autonomous robots are the best because they can position and reposition and they can disinfect while they're moving to eliminate the shadows. And so not only do you get a better direct line of sight if you're shadows, a better angle of incidence to direct the light to the surfaces, um, but you can get closer to the target as well. And the closer you can get, uh, because of the inverse square law of light, the closer that you can get to your target energy that's required and the faster you can disinfect. So if you can get twice as close to a surface, you can disinfect that surface four times faster. And uh, that's really yeah. the secret of having moving autonomous robots so much more energy efficient and, um, and uh, so much more of a complete disinfection can be done if you can actually move the light around. And if the machine is smart enough to actually monitor its light output and all the surfaces so it is calculating all those distances and dosages on the fly. 
And uh, how far are applications like this or looking into the future, what do you think will still come apart from the autonomous disinfection? Is there anything where you see UV applications evolve to, uh, to a standard where they will be used in daily life or to battle infectious diseases even outside of the pandemic? Yeah, I, I think that time has come and it's, and it's, um, it's odd, you know, uh, upper air UV is one of the predominant things that we can do for an aerosol transmitted disease like COVID. So um, back in the 1930s and 40s, upper air UV uh, began to be used for tuberculosis. And so um, any yeah. of the TV facilities would have a field of UV in the upper part of a room up above people's heads. And it, and it was shown to be very, very effective. Now we kind of got away from that um, over the last 40 years or so, and it's being rediscovered and redeployed, particularly for uh, COVID. One of the things you can do when um, you do have uh, COVID patients is you can increase the ventilation. You can open windows or you can increase the fan speeds and you can improve the filtration of the air and you can put local air disinfectors, et cetera. All of those take a fair bit of energy to um, condition the air and to move the air through tighter and tighter filters and to have higher and higher volumes. Yes, if we yes. would have put upper air UV into each of those rooms, we could deliver a much more cost-effective uh, solution directly close to where people are. So um, a few studies have come out to show that uh, upper air UV is about 10 times more effective and about 10 times more cost-effective than improving ventilation. And uh, I think we need to rediscover that which we had discovered about 80 years ago. And, um, and I see more and more products starting to come online uh, uh, with that now. So um, we have a product in the works right now called Lightwave, which um, uses some really smart uh, technology to first of all, aim the lights so that it uh, creates a field above everybody's heads in a, a room, and also to draw a lot of room air through so it continually circulates air through the UV lamps. So it's providing those two modes of disinfection. And then in a third mode, um, based on the occupancy of the room, the device will wave down and disinfect surfaces in that room as well. So now you have you know, a very, um, passive uh, type of operation where no one is required to interact with the device, but it's continuously watching the room and the occupancy, continuously disinfecting. It'll ramp up the speed of the, the fans, et cetera, de depending on occupancy, and then wave down and disinfect the surfaces as well. So I, I think that is the future. Very, very intelligent devices that are multimodal. Thank you for taking the time to join us here on the podcast. And I really appreciate it. Uh, that you could make it. It's been a pleasure speaking with Michael. Thank you. Our next guest for this episode is Dr. Rick Martinello. Dr. Martinello is the Medical Director of the Infection Prevention Department at Yale New Haven Health. He's also an Associate Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at Yale School of Medicine. Hello, Dr. Dr. Martinello. Thank you so much for, for taking out the time to speak with us. Hello. How are, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for inviting me. 
I'm good, thanks. So to start with, uh, I want to talk about uh, in many places around the world, uh, a major concern has been the strain the pandemic would put or is putting on our healthcare systems. And I should say uh, that you yourself are based out of uh, Yale New Haven Hospital. It's in Connecticut, the US, right? That's correct. And can you summarize uh, from your point of view uh, how the pandemic has affected the health healthcare industry and how the industry is coping with it? Sure, thank you. Um, you know, to say that the least, the, the pandemic has really been incredibly disruptive uh, to to healthcare in general. And you know, it was uh, during March of this last year in 2020 when we in Connecticut started to see our first patients who are coming into our system. And, you know, we really started to plan, um, you know, obviously for years we've been planning for pandemics, but we started our, our active preparations really uh, in January. And a lot of that was very much just focused on informing our staff about, you know, what would become known as COVID, making sure that they were aware of it and what to do if they had a patient suspected of COVID. But um, you know, around this time last year, around uh, you know by early April last year in 2020, you know we our community you know was essentially in a lockdown you know status, and across our healthcare system, which uh, we're a system of uh, about five hospitals, about 2,500 beds, uh, we have uh, about 35,000 staff who work uh, within our our healthcare system. And we had really uh, transformed our approach to providing patient care. And, you know, I think there, there was a lot of unknowns at that time. And, uh, you know, one of the significant unknowns was exactly how this virus was transmitted and, you know, whether or not our approach to personal protective equipment and our approach to creating safer environments was going to be effective in preventing spread of COVID within our, our healthcare system. Um, and then, you know, we also, you know, had a lot of uncertainty as to, you know, what the patient demands were going to be, how many patients with COVID were we going to need to care for. And in, in that first wave, it really peaked out with, you know, some of our hospitals um, having over half of their patients uh, being impacted by COVID and the hospitals being, you know, nearly full, but, you know, over half of COVID. And, you know, I've been working in healthcare for the better part of 25 years now. And, you know, certainly we had never seen anything even close to that, uh, you know, with, with flu or with other, uh, you know, other diseases in the past, just really so dominating um, those areas. And, uh, you know, I think, when we began to really approach um, how are we going to you know, position ourselves to be able to care for this surge in patients, um, you know, one thing we found was that it was a lot easier to, to shut down services and repurpose those staff who were no longer seeing, you know, let's say elective surgery patients and reorient them to help us care for um, you know, our patients with COVID or, or other, other um, you know, activities that were being sustained. And as the first wave started to recede, I uh, to think about, well, now how do we adapt uh, to our new reality? 
And how do we reopen the services? You know, we, there was a lot of preventive work, you know, colonoscopies, for example, uh, that were being put on hold. Um, a lot of elective surgeries that were canceled and rescheduled. And how, how do we redo that in a safe manner? And this really required a lot of, um, you know, effort on a very uh, kind of refined scale to think about how we see patients, you know, in, in a safe manner. And you mentioned that you had to adapt the way you work and the way you deal, and not only with uh, with uh, COVID, but to how to work in the medical field in general under these circumstances. And I can imagine that these were huge changes and big challenges. So from a disinfection point of view, how has disinfection technology helped to mitigate the risks of transmission and the spread of the virus in general? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, you know, very early on, um, you know, with before we developed a better understanding of how it's transmitted, you know, we had a, a real great deal of focus, you know, not only on our staff, making sure that they were, uh, you know, washing their hands appropriately, uh, but also surface disinfection, uh, you know, across our healthcare system and making sure that we were um, disinfecting that environment as, as well as we could to um, make sure that not only if there was virus on that surface, if that was a potential risk to our, our patients and staff, uh, we got rid of it, but also, you know, recognizing that uh, having that clean environment uh, led to greater degrees of confidence among our patients and among our staff that they were yeah. going to be safe and, you know, where they were. Yeah, and that's also good for, for everyone who has to work there on a daily basis or if, as you said before, mm -hmm. the, uh, the operations and everything had to resume, even though it was just the first wave of the pandemic. And, and actually, as, as an aside, you know, within my healthcare system, we, we do not use uh, ultraviolet light for surface disinfection. And that's a long story. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we, we, we actually uh, did some work that actually just came out in the journal this month um, on the use of vaporized hydrogen peroxide for reprocessing N95 respirators. I could speak to that a little bit. And I know uh, Barry and his company have actually a special product to, to, um, to do that. Okay. Uh, um, so I could speak to those things a, a little bit and, uh, um, you know, we do use UV, uh, within duct in our, um, ventilation systems, but the, it's only powered and positioned to, uh, prevent the, f uh, um, fouling of the, uh, fan coil units. You know, we do not use yeah, it for yeah. air disinfection. Well, I think you you will still be able to provide us with a, a view on how how UV can help or could help or what your opinion is on the use yeah. of UV. I mean, <laughs> since we are talking about UV now, um, how how do you think the the healthcare industry has uh, viewed uh, UV as a disinfection technology in the past or historically? Yeah, I I think historically, and this is this is really going back. Um, a number of, of decades. And, you know, when we look at the history of UV, you know, UV was discovered, uh, you know, near, over a century ago now, I believe, if I recollect correctly. Yes. Yeah. And it really developed a, a very important um, you know, role 
in, uh, for the disinfection of air, and particularly in uh, tuberculosis sanitariums. And, you know, kind of famously, uh, you know, there was a sanitarium in California that had actually, in, in one of their buildings, installed uh, upper room uh, ultraviolet light to disinfect the air and keep you know their their patients and their staff their visitors you know safe when they were in that building and it happened that they had installed this equipment uh, right before the influenza pandemic that occurred in 1957-58 and you know when they looked at their data after the pandemic uh, was receding. Uh, what they had found was that people who were in that building with that upper room ultraviolet light had about a 90% lesser uh, risk of um, having developed uh, influenza over the course of that year. And they had uh, done that work using blood tests, uh, using serology uh, to identify those who uh, may have become sick with flu over the past year. And it was uh, really some, I think, early evidence uh, showing that air disinfection with ultraviolet light uh, both you know, can be uh, very effective in preventing uh, the transmission of uh, respiratory viruses such as influenza. And you know, while we suspect that the same may be true for, um, uh, for the SARS uh, coronavirus 2 virus that causes COVID, uh, we're still waiting you know, for some work to be done in that area and for us to really better understand um, how it may fit into uh, you know, protecting our patients and protecting our staff uh, you know, now with this pandemic, but you know, really also in the future, because we know, you know the virus that causes COVID, uh, even with uh, our vaccination campaigns being so successful, uh, this virus is really gonna be, continue to be around with us for uh, the foreseeable future and you know, years to come. And so I think with that, you know, looking for ways to protect uh, persons in our healthcare environments is, continues to be really important. So we look forward to uh, that work being done and uh, seeing if it, it can be used in a you know, real safe and effective manner. It's, yeah, it's actually interesting that you mentioned the tuberculosis clinics, which uh, were also mentioned by Barry as an example of how UV was used for air disinfection. And uh, in Barry's opinion, it was also that UV as a disinfection technology from back then was a little bit, you know, I don't want to say forgotten, but uh, not as uh, commonly used or applied, maybe. Would you share that opinion that uh, up until the pandemic or general oh, the recently so some of the thought there is that you know prior to the 19 you know 40s or so we did not have effective uh, antibiotics that worked well against um, tuberculosis and yeah. those medications really came out um, you know around that time in the you know early post world war ii era and with the advent of those medications, which really turned out to be very effective in treating tuberculosis, um, it was thought that that was a better solution. And um, you know, as the different you know, uh, you know luminaires and fixtures of for UV light um, kind of aged and um, fell apart, they were really removed yeah. from the environment because we 
we now had those me um, you know, medications that were effective and didn't, we didn't really need to rely on uh, UV light at that point. But I think, you know, with respiratory viruses, it, you know, surely provides us you know, another opportunity, um, you know, to look at this. And, you know, cer certainly UV has been used now, continues to be used and is being used with greater frequency in healthcare for surface disinfection. And I think, you know, for that purpose, it has really been, you know, very well received enthusiastically uh, by healthcare. Um, but but I think there, there are still some, some challenges that, you know, are, are real barriers to bringing on, you know, this technology. And, you know, some of those, those barriers are not only, you know, the, the capital expense of, uh, you know, bringing, you know, the typical UV robots per se, you know, into the yeah. healthcare environment. But I, th I think also there's a real challenge because um, it is very labor intensive, you know, for staff to coordinate having those, you know, UV robots, those uh, UV disinfection machines uh, moved around from room to room and operated. And uh, because of the capital expense of the equipment, you know, typically any, you know, given hospital or, or healthcare uh, facility otherwise uh, tends to generally buy a modest number of machines. And you know, then though they have to invest in the human resources and their staff to yes. wheel those machines around and use them. And so, so um, that cost of operating the equipment you know, really becomes uh, quite high. And if you, if you talk about UV, you also mentioned before the vaporized hydrogen peroxide. Yes. Um, what do you think are alternatives to using UV or maybe disinfection technologies that uh, you yourself have worked with and, and mm. see as uh, very effective? Yeah, well, well the, the typical um, disinfection technologies we rely on are you know, still those chemical disinfectants. And you know, I think what, what has been difficult is you know, not only can those chemicals um, you know, have uh, and these uh, chemicals, uh, what would you say? Uh, is it like a bleach or chlorine solution or um, alcohols or? Yeah, usually what we rely on um, in the U.S. are quaternary ammonium compounds, and unfortunately, yeah. you know those those could be irritating uh, to the user, and so we do we do see occasional staff who um, have difficulty you know working with those compounds. Um, you know, sometimes developing, uh, you know, some respiratory tract irritation that, um, you know, limits their ability to, to work with it. And so we're, we, we have been, you know, working to try to, you know, identify, you know, other ways that we could go about ensuring a, a clean environment. And what we've seen is really, uh, in, in many parts, a, a shift toward, um, you know, neutral uh, cleaning solutions. And what, what I mean by that are cleaning solutions that uh, don't necessarily have those chemical compounds in them uh, that function as a, a germicide. And so I think that that's where, you know, UV really has a, you know, an opportunity and, and an opportunity that you know, many healthcare systems have already embraced, but, um, you know, UV obviously not relying on, on chemicals um, is, you know, provides a, 
real chemical-free opportunity to provide effective disinfection of those uh, surfaces in, in that environment. And from your personal experience or also from your work with the IUVA, uh, have you seen how UV technologies have changed or what new de developments did you see in uh, with regards to the healthcare industry? Yeah, well, I, I think of a few things I'm I'm looking forward to see, uh, you know, further innovation and spread are, uh, you know, one is the um, the development and use of um, autonomous robots for UV disinfection. So essentially a device that um, can on its own uh, go to a room, uh, assess that the room is vacant, yeah. uh, disinfect that room, you know, move around on its, on its own to minimize uh, you know, the effects of shadowing on the effectiveness of, of UV, and then be able to depart the room and go to it, its next location. You know, I, I think that's, uh, you know, there are some manufacturers of such devices at this point. And, you know, I think we're looking forward to see, uh, you know, how they, um, you know, may, may find a niche um, to provide disinfection because I, you know, it certainly would, um, you know, help with the, the staffing piece. I, th I think the other innovation that I'm looking forward to seeing scaled up more is one where we have uh, UV built into the environment. And, you know, not, not only for um, air disinfection to really augment our HEPA, HEPA filters, um, you know, within our, our air handling units, um, yeah. but also within, within the occupied environment. You know, so how can UV be built in so that when, you know, that either that, that bathroom in the patient's room or the, the room itself, you know, once that room is, is vacated, you know, how can uh, it be turned on? Uh, for a period of time and, and ensure that that room is then, uh, you know, as clean as possible. Yes. And you mentioned the, the robots and the new technologies have as, as a medical professional, I would be interested in your opinion. Have you seen any of these uh, technologies or prototypes already being, being used or. Yeah, I, I have seen them, um, you know, in some some advertisements, but uh, but I have not seen them uh, being used in person yet. Okay, so you don't have like a first-hand no, no. experience. And I, I think I don't know if Barry touched on this because I believe his company actually sells. Yes, a product. yeah. He actually told us about the the robots, and this was this is a major field of innovation for UV technology. Yeah. And he basically uh, told us, yeah, that uh, probably that will will be the future, as it also. Um, if you have a, a moving light source, it can also, um, yeah, make up for for the fixed um, the fixed light source, which always has shadowing in the same place. So if That's it moves great. around, it also touches on on more surfaces. Yeah, and and this this is where I think LEDs are going to be really, you know, critical because you know I I, I have seen you know one company's prototype of a device that would actually be fixed to the ceiling in a patient's room would yeah. rotate to help to minimize the impact of shadowing, but still was using you know, low pressure mercury bulbs. And as such, it was a, a fairly large um, device. And you know, certainly this company understood the importance of, uh, 
of the design of the product to make it you know fit within the design of the room. Yeah. Uh, but, but this is where you know if if uh, you know once we have sufficiently powered LEDs, you can imagine a device um, you know that is uh, you know much has a much smaller footprint and can be within that room potentially you know have the ability to move on a track or otherwise and effectively decontaminate that room. And uh, yeah, in the same process, maybe bring down capital costs and running costs. Absolutely. So. Um, in your opinion, how will the future look like in the healthcare industry for, for UV systems? Uh, what do you think, apart from the robots and what we already talked about, will happen or might happen? You know, I, I think some, something that I am hoping to see is, uh, you know, more effort, um, you know, put into assessing the, the value that induct UV can provide. You know, I think COVID has really highlighted the importance of, you know, how we engineer safety into the environment. And, yeah. you know, in part, some of that is uh, the air exchanges. And, you know, right now we heavily rely on uh, filtration uh, to manage that. And, you know, if, when we get into HEPA filters, although, you know, they are highly effective. You know, the problem has really been, you know, those energy costs to, to move that volume of air across, you know, those filters. Yeah. And, yeah. I, you know, I think the, uh, the LEDs, especially because of their small, you know, sizes, um, you know, I am hopeful, you know, that we'll be able to see more ability to retrofit UV into air handling systems that uh, you know cannot be you know do not have HEPA filtration and um, you know how how can we retrofit LEDs into these air handling units to uh, potentially provide effective air disinfection? You know, I did, you know from what I understand, the power is you know far from being where it needs to be uh, to do that at this point. But I, th yeah. I think that that's an area where I'm, I'm, you know, looking to see uh, for, you know, and I'm hopeful for innovation in the future that will, will get us there. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I can only imagine uh, how busy your schedule must be in these times. And it was a pleasure to talk to you. Pleasure to speak with you. And again, thank you for the invitation. Are you alone again? And I'm still All right, that's it for today. If you're looking for more information on how UV technology can help in fighting the COVID-19 pandemic and provide disinfection in the medical field in general, we would recommend a visit to the IUVA's website, especially the news and updates of the COVID-19 task force. If all of this sparked your interest in UV technology, I would like to highlight the upcoming IUVA webinar, Enhancing the New Normalcy with Ultraviolet Disinfection. It takes place on April 27th and April 29th, you can register online now. The show is produced by Dana Busti and Sakith Tanaru. Nathan Moore does our sound design and our music is by Justin Dosette and Stephanie Gora of Almost Lovers. I'm Michael Hoffman. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode and keep checking out the podcast for more news from the UV world. <laughs>